Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Welcome, church. If I've not met you, you're a guest. Uh, my name is Aaron. I get the great privilege of being the pastor, uh, which just means I try to serve you guys and love you well. Um, we've been in a series in the book of James, and James is ultra, ultra practical. This is our fourth week. He's a half-brother of Jesus, and he's got a really blue-collar feel. He just wants to sort of tell you what the truth is and sort of move from truth point to truth point. And this week, he gets really, really practical and asks a pretty big question. And here's what he poses. He asks this question that is, is your faith real and rooted in the gospel? That's his big question that we're going to unpack is, is your faith real and rooted in the gospel? Uh, And as as I was studying this past week, uh, I thought about this illustration that was really helpful uh, for me to kind of grasp what was going on. I had a really good friend in college, uh, his name was Josh, and he wanted to buy an authentic basketball jersey of Michael Jordan. Anybody like sneakerheads or like jersey fans, collectibles? Anybody collect anything in our church? You guys use your... A couple of you are like, oh, now it's kind of awkward because no one raised their hand, then I have to raise my hand. But yeah, so when I collect these basketball jerseys, he had like closets full of them. Um, however, uh, they were all like gifts to him. He didn't exactly know what was an authentic jersey or not, and neither did I. And so he got on eBay and found like this authentic uh, Michael Jordan basketball jersey for like 200 bucks. I'm like, man, I don't think you should get it. Let's, let's investigate to see if this thing is real. If you know jerseys, there's three things to tell you if it's, if it's authentic. The tags are right, the stitching is right, and the coloring is right. Those are the three things. There's probably a couple more. Tags and the stitching and the coloring. You look at this jersey and like the stitching's off, the, the placement's off, the tags aren't even on it, and it's like brand new, untouched. You turn around and on the, on the front, it was like number 23. On the back, it was like number 24. And I was like, that's not how jerseys work. And that's not his number. So he's like, hey, I don't think I should buy this, right? I'm like, yeah, of course you shouldn't buy that. It's not an authentic jersey. It doesn't have the markers. Now, the same thing that's true of that jersey is the same same truth of the Christian faith. Listen, if your Christianity is true and rooted in the gospel, then you're going to have some key markers as well that mark your authenticity. The jerseys have three marks, tag, stitching, coloring. And today, James gives us three marks. He tells us, listen, there's certain actions that will have clear signs if your faith is real and it's authentic. That's James' big point that he's going to make today. Guys, he's gonna discuss how your outward behavior is just a reflection of your inward beliefs. Your outward behavior is just a reflection of your inner beliefs. So if you're trying to like change your actions, you don't start with your behavior. What do you start with? Your beliefs, what you value. Because what you value on the inside is how you express on the outside. And that's James' big point. So I want you to see it for yourself. Let's jump in. Uh, James starts out the section in verse 26 by saying this. He says, if anyone thinks, that means any of you guys in the room, if any person here, uh, man, woman, child, educated, uneducated, whatever you voted for, however you feel about vaccinations, whatever, if anyone thinks this, if he or she is religious, she thinks he's a Christian or She's a Christian or a Catholic, or if you think you have some religious background and you don't bridle your tongue. 
Here's what happens. You deceive your heart and this person's religious religion is worthless. Now, James is a Christian. And so he's giving clear markers of what a Christian would look like. And he's saying, if anyone thinks he's religious, but doesn't bridle his tongue, man, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Like guys, that's a really, really strong statement. Man, James is calling people out hard in today's text. Like last week, uh, James talked about how Christians can deceive themselves into thinking we're spiritually mature if we just hear the word of God, but we don't do the word of God. Like he, last week he was like, hey, uh, if you grew up doing Bible drill in your home, or if you like memorize a bunch of scripture and you did like Awana where you get these little badges for how much scripture you know, and you just have a lot of knowledge in God's word, he's like, that's not spiritual maturity. Hearing the word and then doing the word, that's spiritual maturity. And he says Christians deceive themselves last week all kinds of ways. Well, he picks up that theme this week and he says, hey, this week, Christians also deceive themselves. Christians think that we're faithful if we have the inward devotion to God, but not outward care of others. That's how we also trick ourselves. If we think, man, I have a quiet time and I pray and like, I don't try to like sin against other people. And I like believe that Jesus is Lord and savior. I have this personal devotion towards God, but if that doesn't lead you towards outward care towards others, James is like, uh-uh, you're fooling yourself. That's really not what this Christian walk is because God changes you from the inside and it's too big of a change to not have an effect on the outside. So James is really calling us out here. He says, listen, again, don't just think that your inward devotion to God counts if it doesn't manifest itself in outward care towards others. In fact, James goes farther than any of us. He said, listen, if you don't watch how you speak to others, the way you live out your faith has little meaning and will have little impact. Essentially, it's worthless. That's a hard thing. If you don't watch your mouth and your religion is worthless. Guys, listen, many people think that religion is just like an external conformity to like a list of things. Have you guys ever heard that? Religion is just you doing a lot of rules that God says. And if you don't do it, God just kind of smites you down with lightning bolts and stuff like that. Most people think religion is this outward conformity to a list of rules. Go to church, be nice, give some money, sing some songs, read your Bible, be kind to your neighbor. But that's not how James looks at religion. That's not how he defines it. That's how secular society defines religion today. But that's not what James meant in first century when he said religion. To James, here's what religion means. Religion is the outward response to God's outpouring love. That's what he means by religion. It's your outward response to God's outpouring love on your life. Another word for that in the Bible is just simply worship. Worship is another word for that. Worship is simply meaning all of me responding to all of God right? That's all worship is. All of me respond to all of God. I respond to all of his character, all of his words, all of his actions, all of his promises, how he died for me. And religion is the outward response to his outpouring love. Does that make sense? Did I say anything about lists or rules? Did I give you a command there? No. What is religion? It's how you respond out of what God has done for you on the cross. That's the most pure definition of what true biblical religion is. Not a list of rules so that God will love you, but Christ did all the rules, lived perfectly so you could have a relationship with him. So James is saying something about true religion, 
an outward response to God's outpouring love. And so he's basically saying this today. Guys, listen, if your religion, if your outward response doesn't actually change you, if your beliefs don't change you and help others, it's not based on the gospel. You've based it on something else and it's worthless and useless is what James is saying. If your religion doesn't change you, if it doesn't help others, it's not based on the gospel. You have jacked it up somewhere, James is saying. But if your religion is real and it's rooted in the gospel, then it will result in changed lives and others loved. So that's the main idea that James is getting today. Let me throw the points on the screen if you're taking notes. He's saying this, if your faith is real and it's rooted in the gospel, it's going to show up in three places in your life. Not the tags and not the jersey color, but it's gonna show up somewhere else in your life. It's gonna show up here. It's gonna show up in your speech towards others, in your service towards the vulnerable, and your separation from sin. Those are the three camps that James says, if your faith is real, it's rooted in the true gospel, what Christ has done for you, then this is where it's gonna show up in your speech, your service, and your separation from sin. Let's look at the first one. He says this, if your faith is real and it's rooted in the gospel, it's going to show up in your speech towards others. So he says this in verse 26, if anyone again thinks he or she is religious, but they don't bridle their tongue, they deceive their hearts. This person's religion is worthless. Now guys, listen, it's fascinating to think that something so small as your tongue can say something so big about your heart. Do you know guys that the average person, this is not me because I speak way more words than this. Do you know the average person speaks 16,000 words a day? That's equivalent to a 64 page book. In one week, it's 450 page book. In one year, it's four volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica, which some of you are like, what in the world's that? It's an old volume your mom and dad used to buy. That was your education as your kid. If you stretch it over 70 years, arguably how long the average lifespan is, your words can fill up the 44 volume set of the Encyclopedia Britannica nine times over. That's a ton of words that you're putting out to the universe, to people on social media. Now imagine for a moment that yesterday's book of words, that 64 page book that you verbally wrote yesterday was recorded and it was written down somehow. And then we, we put it on a video and we showed it today's service. We said, this is Bobby's book. And we just hear Bobby's words. And this is Aaron's book or Emily's book. And we start going through that book. What would we learn about your heart or my heart through our words? Would we hear harsh and critical words filled with pride and anger towards someone? Or would we hear words that are filled with grace and truth? Well, would we hear words about how you spoke to your spouse or child in impatience? Or what about the offhand comments you might've made about someone in our church? Or what about this? What words would we hear when you're stressed or when you're feeling under pressure with work or life or circumstances? Or maybe when you're criticized or mistreated by another, what words would we hear in the book you wrote yesterday with your words? What would it tell us about your heart? Now listen, if that doesn't scare you, if we like air that out today in service, if that doesn't scare you, you're way further better than any Christian in the room or you are incredibly delusioned and you have zero self-awareness. I'll leave that up to you, okay? But we know guys, words are incredibly powerful and that's what James is saying. They're incredibly powerful. And what do words do? It's a cliche way to say it, but I'll, I'll make it make sense to you in a minute. But here's what words do. Words create worlds. 
And you might be like, are you like Dr. Strange? What are you saying here? I'm gonna make it make sense to you in a minute, but words create worlds, theologically and practically. Theologically, we know that God spoke and the world was created. Theologically, we know that worlds get built. You and I have a what view? A worldview, don't we? We have a worldview that we think about each other and about God and about our actions. Words create worlds. And the words that God has given us in scripture created a worldview for us. Things that you believe, things you trust and you give your life to, you live out of. It's a worldview. Words create worlds. And guys, in the Bible, we see that words create things and they convict us. They convert souls. They comfort us. They correct us. They do so much good, words can. But also on the flip side, personally, words can create negative worlds. Do you remember as a kid, what do we sing on the playground? Playgrounds, uh, I think we all, maybe if you're homeschooled, I don't know what you play with. I don't know, but... But if not, listen, that was not a joke on homeschool families because we're about to homeschool kids too for a little bit. But hear me out. This is what we heard as kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can. Liar, they hurt you, right? False, words hurt you. Whoever came up with that nursery rhyme is delusioned or they're trying to make us feel better. That's not true. You have been deeply hurt by words. And we, we often say, man, I was in a world of what? Hurt, a world of hurt. Why? Because the words created a world of hurt. Think about your ex. Some of you just got triggered, sorry. But like, think about your ex for a moment. Think about that old roommate. Think about someone at your work. Words stayed with you, didn't they? It affected you and it created a worldview. It created a world of challenge for you. And James is saying, yeah, yeah, words create worlds. And so you gotta be careful what words we're sharing is it modeling who Christ is and what he's done? Does it represent him and the worldview that's in the scriptures for our good? Listen, I know this might be cheesy, but if you want your world at home to change with your wife, with your kids, if you want your world at home to change, then you need your words at home to change. How you speak to your wife, to your kids, how you speak of your spouse, how you speak to your roommates. If you want your world at work to change, then your words at work must change. Your words can create worlds of hurt or harm or benefit. We know this is true because Proverbs 18, 21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. So listen, every time you open up your mouth, every time, drive through or friend conversation or whatever, either words of life that build up come out or words of death that tear down come out. Those are your only options. The tongue has the power of life and death. Every time you speak, that's what happens. The Bible even goes further and says that the throat is like an open grave. Sweet mother, that's intense. And he's, it says, when there is death on the inside of your heart, it eventually shows up in your words. Have you ever been around a bitter person? Did, did their tongue just like tasted salt by accident that day? It was like, oh, they're just gonna speak harshly. No, where's it coming from their hearts? And we speak from the overflow of the heart. And there's times where I've been bitter and I've been angry and I've been hurt in my heart and I speak out of that. And James is saying, hold on a second, Aaron. I wanna give you some handholds today. If you struggle with your mouth and you like to mouth off and you've got a sarcastic mouth, listen, you're safe at home with me because that's how I speak. It's not really good. But James is gonna say, hey, let me help you for a moment. If your heart is bitter, if it's deadly, if it's an open grave, let me help you for a moment. And if that's not you, it's gonna be you like tomorrow. So just, this is for all of us, okay? Here's what he says. James is gonna tell us how to deal and heal a deadly tongue and a deadly heart. He says this. He says, we are to bridle our tongues. Now on the surface, that just sounds like do better, try harder, 
cut off your tongue, don't say bad things, is what it feels like on the surface. But that's not what James is getting to. It's not just your sheer effort. The analogy goes way further than that. Now, listen, you may not grow up on a farm. I didn't either. I did grow up in North Carolina, so I drove by lots of farms. And you would see horses. You would see cattle. And what you would see is sometimes people riding horses. You've seen movies, you get it. So if you're not familiar with the bridle, it's simply headgear for a horse when you ride on it. Listen, the bit, this is key, the bit goes in the horse's mouth and the reins go to its owner. The bit goes in its mouth, its reins go to the owner. It's a beautiful picture that James is giving us because he's saying this about our hearts. We should say with bridling our tongues, God, I'm going to put your words in my mouth that sink down to my heart. And then I'm going to give you the reins of my life in your hands when I'm angry. Does that make sense? When you're angry and you're bitter and you want to lash out with resentment, you put God's word in your mouth and in your heart. And then you hand your life over to him and say, God, you're the avenger or whatever it is. You hand it over to him, the reins of your life. So I'm going to take the bit of your word in my mouth. I'm going to give you the reins of my life in your hand. And I'm going to trust you to steer my anger, steer my anger, my hurt, my frustration, my discontentment for my good and your glory. That's what James is saying to you. He's not saying just try harder. He's saying, you've got to put something in your heart. You got to put something in you. Guys, listen, I had a conflict with uh, one of my beloved brothers yesterday. I won't go into a lot of the details, but it got pretty heated out in our church uh, softball field yesterday. And there was some big conflict. And there was words that were shared with me that were hurtful, that were crushing to me. In that moment, I could choose to retaliate out of the hurt I felt, or I can take God's word and say, I, I feel hurt because I feel like this brother is dishonoring me and he's stripping my dignity, speaking unkind to me, speaking harshly to me. It feels like it's stripping my value. So either I could let this brother think that he actually can steal my value, or I can say, where's my value come from? Your word in my mouth and in my heart says my value comes from that I'm created in God's image. And he died for me on the cross, infinitely purchasing my life. So I have a great value and price on my mouth that no one can take it away. So in that moment, I've got to eat God's word and say, this brother cannot steal my value. And maybe I did that to him as well because I spoke harshly. We reconciled, we're able to work through those things together. We talked a bunch after the game and it's just a game, right? But something else was in our hearts. And what God is saying is what you do is you take his word and you put it in your heart. You give the reins of your life to him and say, God, would you steer this anger, steer my frustration. So you bring the hurt to God And then in grace, you bring the hurt to the brother or sister that hurt you. Does that make sense? That's going to save you a lot of heartache. Bridling your tongue means you bring the hurt that where the anger comes up from, you bring that to God in prayer. And then in grace, you bring that heart to the person who hurt you. And over time, you're going to watch God heal you and help you in that hurt that you had the conflict with, where the anger came from. Does that make sense? I'm trying to really help you. It's not just self-power. I'm going to not say bad things. I'm not going to be unkind. That's not what bridling the tongue is. It's digesting God's word and letting it touch those ang- areas of anger. Remember last week we talked about what anger was? Anger happens when something you love gets threatened. For me, it was my values, my worth of my dignity. I feel like I was being embarrassed in front of my friends, talked down to, feel like something was being stripped from me. But what does the gospel say about me? What does the gospel say about me? Can someone strip my dignity, my value, my worth? And so therefore in love, I can go to the brother and say, hey, did I do this to you? Hey, brother, I'm, I'm sorry that you felt like I stripped your dignity. We're able to talk about it. 
Now it's a dumb church softball game, just like that dumb toothpaste issue you got with your spouse and the toilet paper and the calendar and the communication with your friends. It's all the same. All of it's a dumb issue, but exposes the real issue, pride and hurt in our hearts, right? And that's what James is trying to get us to understand here. To be real, we mouth off for two main reasons, hurt and pride. That's why you and I mouth off. That's what James is talking about. When we feel hurt or something's not going our way, you mouth off. And so here's what James is saying. James is really telling us, words reveal what you worship. Words reveal what you worship. How do I know? Because I know for for me, I am pumped about my vacation coming up. Not the SBC gathering, but what happens after the SBC gathering to help me cope with the SBC gathering. I'm going to Disneyland. Praise God Almighty that I'm going to be able to go with my family and go on a vacation. By the way, I love you church that you allow your pastor to go on a vacation because there's some churches that just don't. And I'm grateful that I have a church that lets me go on vacation, love my family, love my kids. I don't worship Disney, but my heart is starting to worship comfort and rest and escape. And so you'll hear me talk a lot about this vacation like it's my savior, like it's gonna be the fix all to my stress, my heartache. Your words reveal what you worship. If you hear me, you realizing my heart is leaning towards comfort and ease and rest because I'm stressed, I'm tired, I'm weary, just like many of you. So my words are revealing what my heart thinks will rescue me. Maybe for you, it's this. When you mouth off to your kids, maybe you're saying, I worship comfort and you're making my life harder. Maybe that was a confession of me. I don't know. Forgive me. Maybe when you mouth off to your spouse, you're saying, listen, I worship care, love and support and you're not giving it to me. So you mouth off. It's revealing what you worship. I worship my love, my care and support. You're not giving it to me. So mouth off at you. That's what it's saying. It's revealing what you worship. Or maybe it's a roommate, right? You mouth off at a roommate, a friend, a coworker, because they mistreated you. They slighted you. And so you're saying, I worship my ego and my self-esteem and I'll devalue you to revalue myself because you hurt me. That's what retaliation is, by the way. Have you ever like, listen, just be real with me. Come on, we're all real people here. You've had the shower conversation by yourself of what you would have said if you had more time. I'm gonna chill them off. And you just, you know what I'm saying? And you're like, listen, I'm not in your home, but like we all have this. I would have said, I would have said that and then I would have done that. And I would like, and where do you go to? You start hurting their character, don't you? That's where you start attacking. That's where you go for, right? You don't just be like, I don't like your shoes. No, you go for, you go for the jugular in those shower conversations. You're like, I, you, whatever you do, I'm not gonna give analogies. So like, I'm afraid of what I'm gonna say, but I'm proud of my tongue. But you know what I'm saying? You go, you go for the heart because what's hurting in you, your heart. So it's personal to you where you were hurt. So you go personal for them. And God is telling you, take the heart to me. What is God's word saying about you? Is, is it a devaluing thing? How can you breathe in the gospel and how precious you are? And no one can steal that away, no matter what someone has said about you or did to you. And then after you take in, you bridle your tongue, you put his word in your mouth, what do you do? You take the hurt to your friend, take it to your spouse in that order. Do you guys see how this saves and heals your heart? This can do so much to help you heal and deal with your tongue. So friends, for some of us today, you need to bridle your tongue anew. In your marriage, in your friendships, you need to bridle your tongue anew. For others of us, you need to bridle your thumbs. Bridle your thumbs anew, your tongue and your thumb, okay? We post in happy for some of us, right? Not calling out names, because sometimes I do it too. 
We gotta be mindful of what we post. Guys, is it mean-spirited? Is it gossip? Are we speaking gossip and rumors and slander? Is our humor that we speak in our CGs, is it meant to insult someone and put them down? Or is it to build them up? Do we have endless criticism and hot takes? Are we quick and cutting with our words? Do we take cheap shots? Do we exaggerate the faults of others to hide our own? And then do we excuse, excuse our hard words by saying, I was only joking. James is saying, guys, if we don't bridle our tongue, if we don't take God's word in, speak God's word out, deal with the hurt appropriately, your religion's worthless. That's a strong word. And that's a clear marker for what it means to be genuine in your faith. That's the first thing that we see. Number two, if your faith is real and it's rooted in the gospel, not only will it show up in your speech, but it will show up in your service to the vulnerable. Your service to the vulnerable. Verse 27 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So here's a cool way to think about this. He's saying this, one of the purest and one of the most undefiled demonstrations of the gospel is to move towards hard places and hurting people and not away from them. I desperately want you to hear that again. Please listen. One of the purest and most undefiled demonstrations of the gospel that you can do with your life is to move towards hard places and hurting people rather than away from them, because that is in fact what God did. He moved the hard place of the cross and moved towards hurting people in their sin. And that is what we're called to do because we drink in the healing and forgiveness and grace and love we're lavished in with. And because of that, we can move towards hard places and hurting people. That's what James' point is. Now guys, not all the time, but most of the time, here's how we arrange our lives, guys. We're just real. Me too. I do this too. Guys, we arrange our lives to experience as little hardship as possible. On rare occasions, we're willing to face hardship if, if we know that we'll experience some benefit at the end of that hardship, aka for me, schooling. Maybe you're in your master's program, your PhD, and you're like, okay, I can get to the end of this and then I can take a break. And then I'll get a job and then I'll get a status, and then I'll, then I'll have money, then I can eat. You know, whatever the case is, we're willing to endure hardship if we know that there's a benefit for us. But what happens if we enter hardship simply for someone else's benefit? We rarely do that. If it puts us at inconvenience, if it's gonna make us have more challenges and difficulties, we rarely enter in that because there's not benefit for us. And James is saying, seems like your religion might be worthless because you only put in what you think you can get out. And part of Christianity is you see this deep, deep personal to the nth degree, like sacrifice, like very personal, very mindful, very intentional. Each moment of his 33 years of life, let every moment, he was known as like a, a person with agony and a man of sorrows, sacrifice, lived away from glory, which he first came from in heaven, Jesus in Sacrifice it all for our benefit. And when we breathe and take that in, we begin to model that. And that's what James is saying. If your faith is real and it's rooted in the gospel, it's gonna show up in service to the vulnerable, the vulnerable. So he says this religion that's pure, it's undefiled. It's a real demonstration of the gospel because God's our father. He says, this is what it is. It's caring for people like you. What? 
Caring for people with the same Enneagram. Hold on. Caring for people with the same voting status. Hold on. He's talking about people that are the vulnerable in society, not people that are like you, that vote like you, that look like you, that act like you, that are educated like you. It's the visit, the orphans and the widows in their affliction. What's he saying? Orphans and widows or the fatherless and the husbandless easily represented two of the most marginalized and push aside classes of people in James's day in first century. Those people carried no legacy and they weren't able to contribute to society. So what does society do? They pushed them away. And James is using them, orphans and widows, in a particular way, but also in a general way. Those two names are representatives of the most marginalized, the most disenfranchised, the most vulnerable groups of people that lived around him. And he says, by caring for them, that's what an overflowing response to God's love and grace, that's what religion is, is loving them the way you were loved. And friends, when you can see yourself as an orphan, if you can see yourself as a widow, if you can see that that's spiritually who you were, you're without a heavenly father and you're without a deep lover, that's what we were. And Christ came and he changed those things. And so James is using them as a representative. Guys, if you look at the Old Testament, God has this like quartet of care that scholars call in the Old Testament. He had four groups of people, this quartet of care that he talked about all the time. He talked about caring for the poor, the widow, the fatherless, and the immigrant. He says, take care of them, love them. He was always advocating and he was always reprimanding Israel for not caring well for them. So he says, this is my, I'm gonna be their God. I'm gonna be their father. I'm gonna pursue them. And I'm gonna call everybody else to pursue them as well. Then church, that's who we're to pursue. That's who we are called to go after. The poor, the widow, the fatherless, the immigrant. Church, just as all in the Old Testament, we are called to go in the New Testament. Here again, we're called to go. Those are our people. In essence, he's suggesting that we become the kind of people that move towards hard places and hurting people and not away from them. So that's why he says, we are to visit them like God the Father would, like a father would visit. Visit them like he visited us in our own afflictions. And that word visit, by the way, is not meaning to like temporary pop in, say, hey, sit on the couch for a minute, grab a water and then leave. That's not what visit means. Visit means that you would long-term walk walk alongside of someone to love and to care and to give attention to. Visit means to watch over, to intentionally care for. And that's what he's saying. So yes, this passage majors on care for the widows and the orphans, but it doesn't end there, does it? It must mean, and this might be difficult for us to hear, but listen, it must also include that we care for the unborn and the sick and the dying and the homeless, and the disabled, and the immigrants, and the victims of sex trafficking, and our prisoners, and our refugees, and many other people the world would overlook. And yes, it even means staying possibly to care for the abuse victims in the SPC by pushing and pressing for justice. When people may wanna bail or give up on them, who advocates for them? Who loves them? That's what James is getting to. And when we do, when we do, when we hang in with cultural's least, last, lost, and leftovers, when culture does that to them, what do we do? We step into hard places and we go to hurting people because it puts the heart of God demonstrated in the gospel, it puts it on display with vividness and clarity and purity like nothing else can. 
that's what James is saying real religion is. It's an outward response to God's outpouring love. And it's clearest when we give it to those who have no benefit to give us. Because that is how God treated us, came to us in our brokenness and our hurt. Guys, one of the clearest ways today from this text to step in the gap and to live out this pure, undefiled display of the gospel is if you step into the hard place of foster care and step in the hard place of hurting lives. One of the clearest ways this text says it very explicitly, doesn't mean you're any less if you have biological children or you don't have any children or if you're not married, doesn't mean any less of you, but it does give a particular call to us to step in for the most vulnerable. And let me tell you in Massachusetts, guys, right now as I sit, there are 9,000, roughly 9,600 children in foster care in this state. We are one of the, I think we're like listed 19 or 20 out of all the states of like highest children in foster care. Roughly 9,600 care in foster care, but listen to this. There's only, only there's 6,000 foster homes. Do you see the issue here? 9,600 kids, 6,000 foster homes. Not enough. Of that 9,000 number, of that 2,800 children have been legally, their goal is now changed to adoption. They're on the path to being adopted and there's not enough homes lined up to bring them in. Even right now of those 2,800, right this second, as I speak, a thousand, a thousand of them are free for adoption this second. This second waiting for a permanent home. Someone to call mom, someone to call dad, someone to call sibling. Right now, they're waiting, a thousand of them in our state right now. This text says, visit them. Long-term suffering, long-term love. Bring them in, give them your name, give them your life, give them your possessions. Guys, this is hard. It's hard to look at and really consider this. I mean, like this is not an option for James. It doesn't mean every home has to do this, but every home has to be involved and support this. And our church, I will say, is one of the best churches I've seen recently that helps families that are taking in adoptive children or foster children. And we're caring for each other with money and support and prayers and care. And some of you guys are doing house chores and some of you put meal trains together. That is a part of this. You're doing it. But we can't just pat ourselves on the back and applaud ourselves. There's, there is a thousand children that are in group homes that want a mom, that want a dad. It's a hard place and hurting people. And James saying, being true to your faith is not living in comfort. I just think about how much money you'll lose or how much heartache you'll have if these kids come to your life or what they'll damage in your house or how hard it'll be. Sure, evaluate. But when you truly evaluate biblically, you're gonna come out thinking, I, I need to aim that way. I need to pursue this. I should love them the way I was loved when I was an orphan without this heavenly father. And he came to me, brought me into his family and loved me and gave me everything. I wanna live like that. Friends, I'm not perfect at it. Just to be real honest with you, I didn't share this with my wife, but like Emily wants to have more kids. And I'm like, I don't think I can. I don't think I, I want more children. I'm terrified, I'm afraid. I don't think I'm a good enough father as it is, good enough husband, good enough pastor. And so I'm like, God, would you help stretch my capacity one day? Would you help me to get ready because of how much hardship and challenge it's been for the first two? I don't know if I'm ready for another kid. I don't know if I want to give any more. So it doesn't mean we hit, we've got to stop, but it calls me to enter into time of, Prayer and consideration. Why do I want to stop? Is it because I'm selfish? Because I don't want to do this hardship anymore. I don't want to have to endless visits and endless paperwork and numerous conversations, all the like screaming and yelling of 
biological family, all that kind of stuff. Do I want to go through all the court cases, all the hardship? No. So I'm asking God, I'm confessing to you in this place, I'm struggling. We have two kids, I'm struggling. And I'm asking God, would you either move my heart, change my heart, or grow my heart to help me in this? I look at that past, I'm like, I don't want to visit anymore. I'm tired, I'm wore out. It's hard. And so may God do something in me. May God do something in you in the meantime. Maybe it's not foster care adoption, but maybe it's getting involved in Boston Pregnancy Center, like our network is involved with. Maybe it's reaching out to a single mom on your street. Maybe it's helping to care for those at Fidelis Way or Faneuil Gardens through Upward or movie nights that help you build long-term relationships with those who are just pushed aside in our society. This is the heart of true religion, that we move towards hard places and towards hurting people and not away from them because God moved towards us in the gospel. Amen? Let's take this seriously, especially the easy call, orphan care, widow care. How do we care for the least, the lost, the last, and the leftovers of society? How do we step in because of how Christ stepped in for us? It's easy for us to navigate some of these. It's gonna be hard for a lot of us. The easiest one I want you to pray over is how can I step into DCF and foster care? Our church already has a pathway. We already have contacts. Many of us have done it. Would you consider what that looks like for you to be involved in that in some greater way? Last thing, it's the shortest point. Number three, the third marker. If your faith is real and it's rooted in the gospel, here's what happens. It's gonna show up in your separation from sin. It's gonna show up in your speech, service to the vulnerable and your separation from sin. Verse 27 says, religion is pure and it's undefiled before God the Father. It's this, it's to visit the orphan, the widows and their affliction. And third thing, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Notice how those two things are linked actually. The hardship of caring for orphans and widows and marginalized. And he says to keep oneself unstained from the world. What does that mean? It's the dilemma when you're fully engaged in the hardships in the hurtful places, sin is going to start rising up in you. Some issues are going to start boiling to the top. When you're entering into hard places, hard things inside of your heart are going to rise to the top. We have to get our hands dirty in the muck and the mire of human pain and sadness. And when we reach hard places and hurting people, we will end up in difficult situations. And so it will boil to the top all types of feelings and thoughts and temptations that can lead you to sin. When you're entering into hard places, there will be hardness of heart that will happen. And James is saying here, get your hands dirty, but keep your heart clean is what he's saying. Well, how do you do that? Have you ever been burnt out in church life, by the way, where you're serving, 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 and the output is greater than the input and you start getting mad at people and angry at people? That's what happens when you serve. And James is saying, get your hands dirty, but keep your heart clean. How do you do that? How do you not go rage monster on people when you're serving them all the time, especially maybe serving in the hard places and hurting people? And he's saying, keep yourself unstained from the world. And so I just want to give you these four quick things. We won't unpack them because it's going to show up more later in the book. But here's how you actually do that. Get your hands dirty, but you keep your heart clean. How do you do that? Four quick things. Write them down fast. We'll move on. We've got to rest in the gospel. You rest in what God has done for you. When you are tricked to think, who's caring for my needs? All I'm doing is pouring out for someone else. I'm giving my time and my money and I'm tired and I'm wearing. Who cares about me? God. You get the ultimate trump card. God does. God doesn't rest. He doesn't sleep. All his provisions is aimed towards you. God cares for you behind the scenes. When you sleep, he doesn't because he's ensuring that everything will work out for your good. So you rest in the gospel. Number two, you renew yourself in the scriptures. If you are pouring out 
and you're not being poured into by God's word, you're gonna burn out and you'll have dirty hands and a dirty heart. So you rest in the gospel and what God has done for you, but you renew yourself in the scriptures. You gotta hear God speak things to you. You gotta rest in his promises. And you'll, you'll, you'll draw a lot of hope from other people that suffer and struggle in the Bible too. And you'll draw closer to God if you renew yourself in the scriptures because you're gonna hear him and sense him and be in his presence. Number three, you recharge yourself in the good. Guys, take a vacation. When you're serving in hard places and you're burnt out, leaders in our church, people that are serving all the time, it's good to take a break. It's good to have a good meal. It's good to take a vacation. It's fine to have an appropriate amount of drink. It's good to hang out with your friends. I'm preaching this to myself, by the way. It's okay to have a vacation. It's okay to have a vacation. It's okay. Like, right? Rest in the good. God also created things that are beautiful and wonderful for you to experience. And if you never recharge yourself in the goodness of the creation God has, you're going to burn out. You're going to have dirty hands and a dirty heart. So how do we keep ourselves unstained? Rest in the gospel, renewing the scriptures, recharging the good, and then you got to repent from sin. Repent from sin. When I say repent, it's genuinely a turning from what you think gives life to turning to what actually gives you life. That's what repentance is. Turn away, turning to. And so when you're serving and you're in hard places and you're in challenging situations, you're burnt out from your PhD program, your master's program, starting a business, having more kids, you burn out, you're angry. Breathe in repentance. What have I been turning to? Why am I so angry? What's being threatened in my life right now that I'm, I'm irritable and I'm angry and I'm, I'm ticked off and I'm stressed? God, I want to turn those things over to you. I want to turn those things over to you because I think those things are ultimate in my life. I've taken a good thing and I've made it a God thing. I want to turn that over to you and help me to actually walk where new life is found, where hope is found. Guys, those are the quick things. We don't have a lot of time to go over it, but we rest in the gospel, renew the scriptures, recharge in the good and repent of sin. And then here's the last thing we see. Guys, as we think about trying to leave ourselves unstained, it's, you're going to be imperfect. You're going to serve imperfectly. You're going to love your family imperfectly. And I want you to, to just to drink this in just for a moment. Jesus left the beauty of heaven for a birth in a barnyard. He left behind the purity of heaven to rescue us from the impurity of the world. He walked among us. He lived with us. He talked with us. He ate with us. He laughed with us and he wept with us. He rubbed shoulders with gluttons and drunkards, the religious hypocrites and the prostitutes. And because he was the son of God, he lifted the fallen, but he himself had not fallen. He took our sinfulness and then he gave us his righteousness. This is how you and I have a record of being unstained. Is none of us in this room are perfect? You might be a non-Christian that have been visiting us, you're watching online. And this command tells us to be unstained from the world, but none of us can escape the stains from the brokenness around us, the brokenness in us that's called sin. And so today we look to Jesus to say, God, I need you to renew me and refill me. Help me to be separate from sin. There's a clear marker of being a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, if you've not yet trusted in him and you feel that sense of guilt and shame and separation from God, there's no amount of good works or good religion that gets you back to him. It's simply your faith and trust in what he's done for you. God did all the work on the cross. So all you had to do was trust that his death was good enough to cancel your sin. His life was good enough to give you righteousness. His death, his resurrection was good enough to make you rise and walk with God by faith. So today, church, let's pull out the jerseys of our faith. Let's look at them. Do you have the markers? Is your faith rooted in the gospel? Are the stitches right? How's your speech? Are you serving the vulnerable? 
Are you trying to push off sin? And are you trying to separate yourself from sin? Those are the markers of one that has real faith and it's rooted in the gospel. If you don't have those markers, you don't just try harder. You don't just work on it more because all of that's an outward expression of your inward heart. Would you bring your heart to Jesus today? And maybe it's for the first time you're coming to faith in Jesus and saying, I don't have those markers. Would you give me a new life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you help me to walk with you? I want to be a Christian today. Would you give me life? I want a relationship. And for others of us, we're like, man, I just, I just haven't cared about this stuff in a while. I haven't cared about what my jersey looks like. And I know I should be doing these things, but God, would you change my heart? So either way, Christian or non-Christian, bring your heart in today and say, God, would you change me from the inside out? Let's pray. 